0: Our Heavenly Father, before your word that we are about to receive, we ask that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart that loves you in response, and a will to obey and follow you, that you might be glorified in your church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Colossians this morning, Colossians chapter 1. We uh, already read it, uh, the first part of Colossians in our call to worship this morning, but uh, we look to Colossians chapter 1, verses. uh, we're going to look specifically at verse 28 through 29 of Colossians, but uh, I'd like for us to uh, read, uh, just to give a little bit more context from verse 24 uh, through 29. Twenty-four through twenty-nine, Colossians chapter one, verse twenty-four through twenty-nine. Here we read the word of God. The Apostle Paul writes <clears throat> to the church in Colossae. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of His body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. As you know, at the beginning of each year, we preach a series on our mission, vision, and values of ESSA Bible. this year, I decided to re-preach a series from back in 2015. Uh, And it's, as I was kind of looking over my notes from last time, it's ironic, really. It's ironic. It's kind of almost amazing. Uh, But it's ironic that how timely the introduction that I had written for this sermon five years ago is so applicable today. In fact, it's almost like a... Uh, it's, it's almost like a prophecy. But anyways, uh, it's not, though. Okay, let me read it to you. Let me read to you the, uh, the introduction I wrote five years ago for this sermon. I want to read to you just word for word. Many of you have followed the news regarding the flu epidemic this year. Imagine, if you will, that suppose the flu gets much worse and a temporary law is passed that for the next six months prohibits public gatherings of more than three people for the sake of public health and safety. Of course, this is not likely, (laughs) but the point is that for some reason or other, all large groups, ministries of this church, the worship services, fellowship groups, Sunday schools, midweek ministries would come to a halt. Here's a question. Would the church still be able to fulfill its purpose? I guess it would depend on what is the purpose of the church. If the church's purpose is dependent on having worship services, providing fellowship groups, Sunday schools, or other large group ministries, then the church would be greatly hindered by such a law. So what is the purpose of the church? Disciple making. So the real question is this, is disciple making dependent on having worship services, providing fellowship groups, Sunday schools, or other large group ministries? Stated another way, can disciple-making take place apart from the existence of large group programs of the church? The answer is, yes, it can and does when we understand rightly the essential substance of disciple-making, end quote. That introduction from five years ago is so much more relevant today. Uh, Much of it is actually reality, even though I didn't believe it back then. In our act, we actually have a real pandemic, We have real laws, regulations that prohibit large group gatherings. Nevertheless, neither COVID nor shelter-in-place can hinder the church from fulfilling her purpose. As long as we understand the essential substance of disciple-making. What is at the heart of disciple-making? This is what every disciple in the COVID era needs to remember. And the heart is for us to proclaim and speak. The truths of Christ. It is the the proclamation of Jesus. Whether you're new to ESSA Bible or you're a longtime member here, ESSA Bible is changing. It's always changing. But it's even more uh, when it goes through trials. And some things never change. For instance, ESSA Bible is a church that loves. Whether Whether it's loving God or loving our neighbors. As a Bible is going to be a church that makes disciples. And as a Bible is going to be a church that proclaims Christ. No matter what goes on in our world, these things, these essential, these missions, vision, values of Esau Bible remain the same because they're what's taught in Scripture. The Apostle Paul had written this letter to the Colossians uh, to defend the, supremac- the supremacy of Christ. Against false teachings that were creeping in, things that were challenging the supremacy of Christ. And God, and he reminds him that God had reconciled man to himself through none other than Jesus Christ his Son. And of this message, Paul was made a minister of. The apostles' ministry wasn't merely to evangelize the lost or just simply to plant churches. Paul's ministry was really a continuation of Jesus' ministry. And that ministry was the ministry to make disciples of Christ, the Great Commission. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 through 29, that we look at this morning, Paul affirms not only his mission, but the Colossian church's mission, and by application throughout history, the church's mission. SF Bible's mission, to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to the glory of God. And at the heart of disciple-making is this essential truth that we are about we are to be about proclaiming Christ. Well, uh, for an outline this morning, we're we'll going to look at four observations from Paul's ministry to proclaim Christ that guide us a Bible in our own mission to make disciples. So it's just, it's a, a lot of the themes are going to be similar from the first, last two weeks, last week particularly But it's uh, essentially all describing the very same thing, this aspect of churches making disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul does here. Four observations about Paul's ministry to proclaim Christ that encourage us as we make disciples of Jesus. And so let's take a look at point number one. The first first observation about Paul's ministry to proclaim Christ is we notice the message. We learn from him the the message of disciple-making. The message of disciple-making. Uh, verse 28a, Paul begins with this phrase. In chapter 1, we proclaim him. Paul's ministry, you see here, is a ministry of proclamation. It's proclaiming. In secular Greek usage, the word to proclaim referred to basically just announcement of official reports. Uh, news that had to be reported. It was a, the delivering of a message. In Acts chapter 13, verse 5, Luke uses this word to describe Paul's ministry. Where he writes, when they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Making disciples, and what characterized the early church ministry, what characterized the missions ministry, what characterized Jesus ministry, what characterized our ministry, is that making disciples involves proclaiming, announcing the word of God. Paul continually proclaimed the word of God. But at the heart of his proclamation, at the heart of the word of God, is a person, that the word of God, when we look at it in totality, it really centers upon one person, the Christ. In the original Greek, in fact, the very first word in this verse, in verse 28, is the pronoun him. It's him we proclaim, literally. Him, of course, refers back to Jesus Christ. Paul's message, Paul's proclamation is Christ. In the very uh, previous verse of verse 27, Christ in the Colossians is the hope of glory. Further back in verse 15 to 20 of chapter 1, Christ is the image of God, the firstborn of all creation, the creator of all things, the eternal one, the sustainer of all things, the head of the church, the firstborn from the dead, the fullness of deity, and the reconciler of all things. Amen. That is Jesus and much more. And he is the message of Paul's ministry to proclaim of proclamation. He proclaims this Jesus. And this is our message as well. It's important to note that proclaiming Christ is more than just explaining the basics of the gospel of salvation. It includes that, but it's more than that. It involves telling others of the supremacy of Christ, which demands more than just a profession of faith, but a a worship, a submission, dependence, reverence, and hope in Christ. it's, It's something that the, the message of Christ, something we need all throughout life to live this Christian life. Last week, we looked at Acts chapter 14, verse 21 and 23, that making disciples involves both evangelizing, telling unbelievers about Christ, and, and edifying, tell, telling, uh, um, telling, uh, in, <laughs> building up believers in Christ. And both are important. Both are involved in making disciples. Both are necessary. And both involve proclaiming Christ. How do we evangelize? Well, we proclaim Christ's death and resurrection for our sins. How do we edify? We proclaim Christ also in many different ways. For the Christian facing disease and death, we might proclaim Christ the hope of glory. Whether the disease is curable or incurable, we proclaim Christ is the hope of glory. For the Christian questioning the circumstances of their life, we might proclaim Christ the sustainer of all things. He's in control of your circumstances. For the Christian who's living for themselves, we might proclaim Christ as the head of the church, the rightful one who is to have first place in everything. We need to proclaim Christ in edification of one another. Christ was Paul's message in disciple-making, and Christ is our message too. As Christians we are called to proclaim Christ. And so I wonder how often the name of, and pr- name of Christ comes up in our conversations. The name and person of Christ ought to be the most natural things that come out of our lips. It may, I understand when you're a young Christian, it's, it's kind of awkward. But as you live and walk and depend and grow in Christ, the name of Christ, the work of Christ, the person of Christ, the blessings in Christ, the thankfulness to Christ, all these things should be coming out of our lips. Have you ever heard something on the news and then, uh, and then immediately told someone else about it? Oh, did you hear this? Why did you do that? Because that news was relevant or important or interesting. you believe to that person? Have you ever watched a game and then went and told, talked to someone else about the game? Why? Because that you were excited about the game. It was exciting. You wanted to tell them about the excitement. Have you ever gone to a restaurant? Well, okay, maybe outdoors. Have you, and you take some food out, and you, you say, oh, it's so good, and you want to tell someone else about it, or you want to take pictures of it so that people can know about it? Why would you do that? Be- because you enjoyed it, and you want others to enjoy it. Isn't Jesus Christ more relevant than the news, more exciting than any game, more enjoyable than any food? I hope so. And so why isn't he that which comes off our lips? Why isn't he that which is naturally something that we speak about to others? Is Christ the message of your lips, of your mouth? He is the message that we need to proclaim when we, as we go about disciple-making. In the next phrase of uh, verse 28, we make a second observation from Paul's ministry of to proclaim Christ, and that encourages us in disciple-making. And that is, in verse, uh, in verse 28b, I call it, the, the manner of disciple-making. We observe the manner of Paul's disciple-making in, in his proclaiming of Christ. Well, what is involved in the proclaiming Christ? Proclaiming Christ is the main activity, main verb, but he modifies it. He describes it, if you will. And he describes it with, in the, with this phrase, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. Notice first, even, uh, I didn't read both of them, but three times in this verse, the phrase every man, every man, every man is mentioned. And that's mentioned for emphasis. See, Paul's ministry is not limited to Gentiles or Jews, to unbelievers or believers. Paul's ministry is for every man. Literally, that's in Greek, it's every anthropos, anthropology, which we get that. Every human being, it's every human being. This reflects Paul's understanding of the Great Commission. That it's not just to Jews alone, but it's for all nations. Of course, it it does not necessarily mean that Paul's mission was to go to every nation, but rather that he would make disciples of any person, no matter what tribe, no matter what tongue, no matter what nation they hailed from. And that's what we need to strive for. Sometimes we only kind of tend to reach the people who are like us, but we want to be open to making disciples of everyone that God brings into our lives, no matter how different they are. The proclamation of Christ involves, I mentioned, two activities. It's described in two activities. First, Paul, was at, uh, his, make, his proclamation of Christ was involved admonishing. He admonished every man. This verb in the Greek, uh, nutheteo, it used to, we used to use it when, and to describe our biblical counseling. We used, to, we used to call it, back in the olden days, nuthetic counseling. But it's really biblical counseling as it is today. And this, this verb really stresses the influencing, not just uh, not just the intellect, but the will and the disposition of a, of a person. That you're trying to teach them just to fill their mind, but you're trying to teach them so that their lives will change. It's teaching that seeks to change lives. Thus the word uh, often came to be translated as admonish or warn, remind, correct, and and in general instruct. But it's an instruction that seeks to change. When Paul bid farewell to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 verse 31, he he said these words, he he reminded them of, of his ministry among them. Therefore, be on the alert. Remembering the night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. See, admonishment that Paul that Paul did was something that he did day and night, night and day. It was a daily activity. It wasn't just like once in a blue moon. It was it was something daily, regular, constant. it involves not only proclaiming Jesus, but often uh, the admonishing of those who may not be walking right with Christ. And that's why Paul did it often with, with tears, because it grieves you. When, when Every time you have to admonish someone, it, it, their sin breaks your heart. It, it breaks Christ's heart, if you will. It's with tears, because we know that they're not wa- loving the Lord, and they're falling away, and they're in danger. As we make disciples of Christ, we'll sometimes have to warn or correct those who sin or act unwisely. We may not want to, but it is necessary for, it is necessary for not only for the salvation of the unbeliever to warn them of the judgment that has come with for, because of unbelief, but it's also necessary for the growth of the believer that, to, that they would turn away from sin, for sin hinders them from growing. We tend to, uh, sometimes tend to think, well, admonishing others or is the task of, of the leaders. It's is the pastors, the elders, the, the godly people, the super godly people. That's, that's who does it. But Romans 15, 14, there speaks of the Roman church being able to admonish one another. That there's an expectation that everybody in the church, no matter who you are, if you're a f- disciple of Jesus Christ, if you want to be, if, if you love the Lord, if you know Jesus, you, and you know his word, then you should be able to somehow, in some way, Instruct others to change their lives, to, to warn and admonish them as needed. And sometimes it's not just a specific thing, but it's just simply speaking things that are that are in general things that we warn. It's like we're not going to be all fall, falling into error, but sometimes just encouraging, hey, let's be vigilant to guard against error. That is also uh, admonishment. Now, the second activity or second action involved in proclaiming of Christ is teaching. Is teaching. And this is the common word for teaching, truths, teaching uh, or instructing. And Paul saw here to teach every man, every person about Christ. In disciple making, we are teaching who Christ is, what Christ did, and what Christ taught or said. Where do we gain these truths about Christ? Where do we find them? Well, the answer is found in his word. Later in Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, we read these words. Paul encourages the saints there, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. See, Paul knows that when Christ's word abides in us, when, you richly, when he makes us, it's, its home in us, it becomes so familiar that it's, it's, it's always there. It's like those, those scriptures that you just kind of put on your wall. When God's word is all over your home, your house, then a natural response to that, we'll be equipped, we'll be ready to, to teach and admonish one another with God's truths, with the words of Christ. Note one final thing is to, that here, all this admonishing and teaching uh, in, is, is to be done with all wisdom, that is with skill and understanding. We must understand as we make disciples of Jesus Christ, we speak the truths of Christ to others, we admonish others with the truths of Christ, that not everyone is going to respond the same way. Not everybody responds to the same tact. Say, hey, you're going to go to hell if you don't believe in Jesus. Sometimes you just got to come the other way and say, hey, God loves you so much that he gave you his son. There is hope for you in the midst of your trials. There's different ways to, to bring about why people need Jesus. Yes, it's true they're going to hell. Yes, God loves them. Yes, they, God gives them, will give them grace for the trials that they face. But you might have to go at a different angle, different ways, different tr- aspects of God's truth. Not everyone's going to think the same, so wisdom will be needed in how we go about speaking Christ to others. So this, then, is the, is the substance of disciple-making, speaking the, the truths of the word of Christ to one another, whether it's proclaiming him, admonishing, or teaching others. At its simplest form, proclaiming Christ is simply two, belie- two believers coming together, or two, a believer and unbeliever, Speaking truth to one another in love. Just speaking truth to each other. Encouraging another with truth. Sharing God's truth with one another. Or if it's a believer with an unbeliever, then speaking the truth of the gospel to the unbeliever. It can be manifest in different ways, different forms, whether it's you come together to read the scriptures together, to study the scriptures together, to pray the scriptures together. Whether it's you come together just to share something you've read in your devotions together. This is why, this is, see, this is the essence of it. It's the simplest form, and it, it's, it's really all that you need, almost. It's why that even if there are no more large group ministry in the church, even if you were in a city of, say, three people, and all three were believers, you could, you could still function, you could still accomplish the purpose. If we had to meet in groups of three from here on out, the mission of ESSA Bible would not be hindered. It may may not be as easy because we can't all be together. But if we just have three people meeting together, encouraging one another, speaking truth to one another, the church will grow. God will honor the, the work of making disciples, of proclaiming Christ to one another. You know, really, it comes down to, if you think about it, with the ex- really the exception of corporate worship, and that's why we continue to have corporate worship even in this online for- and manner, all other large group ministries of the church are practical and, and simply optional. And there's ways which we in the church in, in our time has chosen to, to make disciples uh, in a church this size. But since the world around us has changed, we need to think more creatively. Think of other ways to continue to make disciples. This leads us to our third observation of Paul's ministry, the third observation that we can make is that in his proclaiming of Christ, we see the motive for disciple-making, the motive for disciple-making. This is also in the latter part of verse 28 of chapter 1. The end goal of Paul's proclaiming, admonishing, and teaching is so that we may present every man complete in Christ. So that we may present every man complete in Christ. Here is Paul's purpose. To present every man, every person, complete in Christ. Now, What does it mean to be complete in Christ? The Greek word is uh, teleos. It means having uh, attained the end or purpose to be complete or perfect. The idea is really of, of a believer reaching the very purpose for which he or she was saved. Attaining the purpose, accomplishing the purpose for which they were saved. And that, is, that purpose is Christ-likeness. Romans 8.29 uh, tells us that every believer is predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. That is the, that is the, the purpose, the end goal for which we are saved, to become more like Christ. When we were saved, God began a work in us to conform us into the image of his son. And it is a lifelong process. It's, it's not a process that will, in a sense, be complete somewhere in this life. Like oh, it can, It's like early retirement, age 63, oh, I'm, I'm complete in Christ, Christ, so I'm good now. It is a lifelong process. It, it goes throughout our life by which we will become day by day, month by month, year by year, more and more like his son in his character its completion will be at the end of our life when we leave this world behind, our bodies in the grave, our souls go to heaven, and we'll see him face to face. Back in verse 22, Paul used the same verb, present, there, and he described there that how Paul, uh, why Paul, uh, Paul describes there why Christ reconciled the Colossians to himself. That is, in order to present you before him, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. So, there's a sense where Christ is going to present (laughs) you before himself one day, blameless approach. So, we're going to be presented before Christ by Christ himself. But here, in verse 28, Paul and his missionary companions see themselves as apostles, as missionaries, as presenting the Colossian believers before Christ as well. The tense of the verb indicates that Paul is thinking here of, of a future one-time act, a future moment. Uh, I believe this is the, to, that the second coming of Christ is when this will happen. At that time, all believers will be presented before Christ, mature and complete, with glorified bodies. Our sinful nature will be no more. We'll have bodies free from the curse of sin, never to die again, reunited with our souls. And there reflecting the glory and the character of Christ. That is one day what we will all be. and We will all be presented in that way. And Paul's purpose in his proclamation of Christ, in his admonishing, in his teaching, is to present one day believers in perfect Christ-likeness before the Lord at his coming. We're reminded of the end goal in disciple-making as a, as a church. We don't want to just make Christians. We want to make Christ-like Christians. Until then, each and every one of us must go through a process of sanctification. And so it's very natural. Good question is, are we growing in Christ-likeness? Are you growing in Christ-likeness? Are others around you, those you interact with, those you speak to on a regular basis, are they growing in Christ-likeness, presuming you're speaking Christ to them? And how does Christ expect this sanctification to take place? As he prayed in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Let us be people to speak God's truth, God's word, the truths of Christ to others, admonishing teaching so that we might present each other Christ-like. Since Christ-likeness is the goal of, of making disciples, it's our goal as a, as a church, it's our goal as Christians to for one another, here are four implications then for the one who makes disciples. And that's for you, and that's for me. Number one, it, it requires passing on the truths of Christ. Uh, and this is important. We all need to be passing truths on to one another. Especially parents, we want to be passing truths on to our children, truths about Christ, it doesn't mean that you always have to sit down and lesson. I don't know how many parents actually sit down and say, okay, today's lesson is the deity of Christ. I, probably isn't. That's not the most practical way to do it. You can do it that way. But it simply means the practical day-to-day as you're living through life, just the moments are right. Just speaking about Christ it involves communicating of truth, warning at times, teaching at times, Christ's word to any area of a believer's life. Number two, it means you have to be patient. It takes great patience to make disciples because it takes a whole lifetime and more. Anything that grows takes time, right? Farmer has to be patient for the crops, investor, for the investment to grow, parents, for children to grow. They don't reach over maturity over nine. Same goes for, for disciples. Same goes for disciples of Jesus Christ. It takes patience. We need to be quite patient. Number three, it calls for personal growth. Our own personal growth. You can't help disciple someone towards Christ-likeness if you yourself are not growing in Christ-likeness, right? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Number four, it takes great persistence in prayer. You've got to persist at it. You've got to prayerfully persist in it. And Paul will allude to in his, in his fourth and final point, or the fourth and final observation that we make of his ministry. The fourth and final, and that fourth and final observation of, of his proclamation of Christ that encourages us in disciple-making is, the, is what we learn is the might for disciple-making. The might for disciple-making. Verse 29. See, disciple-making not only takes time for a believer to mature in Christ, but it also takes great strength and persistence on behalf of the one who is disciple-making. Verse 29, and that's what Paul does. Paul, Paul has this. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. The word labor that he uses here uh, means working to the point of weariness, to the point of exhaustion. This was Paul's work. He labored at it. Paul devoted himself to the purpose of seeing people come to know Christ, walk with Christ, and mature in Christ. That's what Paul did. He, he gave him his, his, all of his life for that. He labored and worked hard. What's more, Paul uses a word that describes his persistence the word he's striving. We get our word agonizing. Can you imagine disciple making? We think it's supposed to. I mean, I hope you'll be happy in disciple making, but there are many times where you're going to be laboring in it. And many times you're going to be agonizing in it. But it's worth it. And you know this because I, as a parent, I know it's to be true. There, it takes great labor in, in raising kids. It takes great agony at times in raising them up. But it is worth it. It is a joy to see them grow. And it's a joy similarly to see disciples of Jesus Christ grow towards Christ's likeness. Though it is a labor and though it is striving and agony at times. 1 Thessalonians chapter two verse nine is a great cross reference. This is a, Paul's persistence in ministry. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship. How working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaimed we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. Paul was devoted. He worked hard, even when they didn't couldn't, pay, couldn't pay him. He worked hard so that he could freely uh, dis, uh, devote himself to uh, dis, make disciples of them. He labored at it. And as disciples makers of Jesus Christ, we need to labor at it as well. Be devoted to the work, as Paul was. Now, of course, I know when I say that, in our world today, there, sometimes we talk about having margins, having some space for time to rest, and there is truth to that. And some of us, I think, but end up choosing to not to do ministries because we're afraid of burning out. If ever, it's ever happened to you, yeah, you don't want to do that because it's, it's, it's really an indication that you didn't rely on God's strength. But if you serve the Lord in the strength that He provides, you will not burn out. You'll be weary, yes. You will face struggle, yes. You will be—you will have agony, yes. But think about it. Even if you were to serve in your own strength, not depend on the Lord, what is, what is? Think about what is. What's the worst option? To to burn out from overuse, to not, not having for even. Uh, having having tried to make disciples, or to dry up from non-use, to not even bother. Obviously, those the middle is the happy medium. One of my professors used to say, <laughs> when he you know challenged us seminarians and says, "You yeah, many you guys are just lazy. You know, you're just lazy. You don't really want to do hard work. You're afraid of burning out." But he says, "You know, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, you burn out for the glory of Jesus Christ." burn out for the glory of jesus christ and you know you just understand what he means be willing to burn out and labor and struggle and strive and agonize for the service of christ to make disciples thankfully of course the lord provides strength to do his work he doesn't leave us to to burn out he gives us the strength we need all this laboring and striving can not be done in one's own strength is true. It must be done according to Christ's energizing power. And we, and we read that Paul, Paul definitely sh- sh- Paul served in that kind of strength according to God Christ's power, which mightily works within him. Paul recognized that he could do nothing apart from God. And that's why he, he depended upon the, the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus himself said this truth in John chapter 15, verse 5. When Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. It's true. We need to be in Christ, have the Holy Spirit in us, be dependent upon the word of Christ, and be motivated for the glory of Christ. Christ's power mightily worked in Paul and mightily works within every believer who depends on his power. And if you kind of think about it, this is even reflected in the Great Commission. Jesus at the end of the Great Commission, what did he say? And lo, I am with you always, that Christ would be present with them as they go about making disciples of Jesus Christ. (laughs) And he's not just present, just to observe and watch. Jesus Christ is present with them to strengthen them, to give them power that they need to do the work that he calls them to do. So let us depend upon Christ for strength, for wisdom in our ministry. Disciple-making is accomplished through speaking the truths of Christ in the power of Christ. And how do we do this on a practical basis? Well, we need to be in prayerful dependence. We need to be persistent in prayer. Asking Christ for help. Ask God to give you strength to make disciples. Ask him for courage to share the gospel. Ask him for wisdom to speak the appropriate words in various circumstances. Ask him to bring about the change that is necessary in the heart of the ones whom we speak the word of God to. And as we pray according to his will, God is faithful to answer. So let us learn from Paul and let us learn to depend upon Christ for the might and the power in disciple-making. We arrive at a conclusion then. The heart and substance of making disciples of Christ is the proclamation of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's speaking the truths of Christ in the power of Christ, speaking the Word of God in the power of God, speaking truth and love. It's just simply speaking truths about Jesus Christ. And we see this in Paul's own ministry. His message was Christ. His manner was admonishing and teaching the truths of Christ. His motive was every uh, person's maturity in Christ. And his might was in the power of Christ. Everything we do in disciple making, at its essential heart, is then the proclamation and glory of Christ. And while making disciples can and does take take place in large group gatherings of the church, it's taking place even now, as I speak truth to you. But in our times of COVID and shelter place, it also can and ought to be taking place in the smaller groups, one-to-one relationships within the body. Every faithful believer can be involved in disciple-making. Especially, I want to speak to your dads out there. Especially you dads. And your moms too. But dads especially. The Lord has, in his providence, brought about requiring that you would work from home. And I know for for me, working from home means the kids are much more, uh, have much more around and accessible. Am I just simply locking myself up in my room when they're coming, knocking on the door, when they go through troubles, when they get into mischief? You know, I know sometimes you got to be on the clock and you got to do your work, but can you, you know, can you are you flexible enough to, to take the time that God is now enabling? Yeah, I know you're saving commute time for sure. Taking that time that Lord has saved in your life to then to kind of disciple your children, to speak truths into their life, disciple them to disciple your wife, speak truths into her life, and for wives to speak truth in your husband's life. That is how we proclaim Christ in the home, and it's how we can and we can extend that to, to a few friends, to close to a small group. And that and that will and that, as God wills, will grow the church. Disciple making isn't dependent upon larger group ministries; it only depends really on every Christian you and I, faithfully proclaiming Jesus Christ to the people that God's placed in our lives. Let me end with three three questions just for thought and application, for meditation. Number one, how are you speaking the truths of Christ to others in your life? How are you doing that? Think about, am I doing it? What, who am I doing that for? speaking to you? Uh, What ways do I do that? Number two, who are one or two others that the Lord may want you to proclaim Christ to, whether as a gospel evangelistic or maybe as a, a means of edification? Number three, how are you growing in Christ-likeness? You know, for our desires to see others grow in Christ, and we need to be growing in Christ-likeness. And then you can ask yourself, who, who might be speaking truth into my life? And uh, maybe if, if not, then let others speak truth into your life. I hope, I, obviously, the, I'm speaking truth in your life, but are there anybody else on a personal level, smaller group level, that might be speaking truth into you? Let them speak truth into your lives. And most importantly, let us, uh, let us be people who allow others to speak truth into our lives, even as we speak Christ to others. Okay. Let's be a church that proclaims Christ, speaking the truths of Christ in the power of Christ. Let's uh, let's uh, respond. I close this time with a, a final response song.